What's up and welcome to Shop Sounds, a woodworking podcast about nothing. With myself, Nick Key of Key Woodworks, Jason Hibbs of Bourbon Moth, and Keith Johnson, better known as KJ Sawdust. All three of us are on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All right, folks, this episode is yet again sponsored by our Pacific Northwest Wolf Pack at Bits and Bits. But let's dispense with all the usual fodder because we have an exciting announcement. So just know this. Go to bitsbits.com and use coupon code MORSELS15 and you can save 15% off your next order of router and or CNC bits. You already knew that. Now on to the giveaway. No, we're not giving away the podcast and Jason isn't giving me away at my wedding, but we are giving away three gift cards. Wait, are they still called gift cards since they're redeemed online? Or are they like e-vouchers? I think Discount? They're, they're called drawer fillers. Code? Put them in a drawer, drawer fill it up. Drawer. <laughs> I filled my drawers the other day. Regardless, these three electronically discounted hall passes will be exclusively utilized at bitsbits.com. That's right. You choose what items you want. It doesn't have to be a CNC bit or a router bit. It could be anything else they offer. I believe they are famous for their churros. (laughs) So you won't be stuck with a half-inch CNC bit or for your quarter-inch router, though it's an excuse to buy a new router, or any other useless stuff. Now, here's what is up for grabs. Third place, $75 gift certificate for bitsbits.com. Second place is $150 gift certificate for bitsbits.com. And the first place is $300 gift certificate for... Applebee's! (laughs) Bitsbits.com. Now, this is really easy. You go to bitsbits.com, enter your name and email address for a chance to win one of these three amazing prizes. Winners will be selected on 4-8-21, that is April 8th, 2021, and notified shortly thereafter. Now, by entering, you are agreeing to be added to our newsletter. And we have a newsletter or Bits Bits newsletter? That's Bits of Bits newsletter. Bits Bits newsletter. To win, you must be following us, which is the Shop Sounds podcast on Instagram at the time of drawing, in order to be eligible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I should heck of a giveaway. I want to mention because I feel like this could be confusing. That's first, second, and third prize, and we're going to pick three people. So each person will get either first, second, or third. Because I don't want someone to think that they're going to get chosen, and then we're going to be like, "Yeah, you won. You're third place, though. You only get seventy-five. So we'll pick we'll pick okay. three winners. Was it, was I the only one that was confusing right. for? No, you just confused yeah, me. Yeah, I am not so understanding what's. I the think problem. we're all well, I could now. just see a situation where I'd be like, <laughs> "Yes, I won," and they're like, "You did win." Unfortunately, you came in second. No, uh, not unfortunately. unfortunately. Fourth. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. Well. And also, I should mention that we'll if deal. you're confused on how to enter, we will also, the three of us, add a swipe up to our stories where you can swipe up and enter there as well. So there's going to be a lot of different places For sure. you, well, can, not go crazy. you can enter. But yeah. mm-hmm. next on the agenda is our patrons. If you're not a patron, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash podcast and sign up there. And that gives you access to the after show and stickers and t-shirts and i don't know a bunch of other stuff and we've got some new patrons that we want to tell you about here are just our new regular to mid-level patrons we've got brandon walker (laughs) sorry that sounded demeaning these 
We just we, it did. We got the three yeah. tiers, and these are the <laughs> these are the jerk. bottom two tiers. <laughs> <laughs> Again, with how the do I, how I do we I have a better intro this. for our guests? Um, these are. <laughs> These are the lower level. No, the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> no! Oh, gosh. Boy. Okay. Here's some of our patrons. We got Brandon there Walker. We, go. we got Morgan Proffer. Patrick, is it Dolly or Daly? Dolly? Sure. Uh, sure. Dolly. Dolly. I think it's, Hello? I think it's Daly. He's Pitbull's cousin. Yeah, Dolly. Dolly. We got Tyler McLean <laughs> Brett at Accurate Home and Remodeling. Mark Howard. Hmm. Jace Onsucks. Is that right? Sure. We got yeah. Joe sure. Was that- <laughs> Wainwright, Brian Asiniga. <laughs> <laughs> Sound it out. <laughs> I don't know if it's a hard C. It could be Archiniega. 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 Yeah, sure, that guy. We got Brian. And then we got Dan Barlow. And then we've got some new top-tier patrons. We got Robin. Robert. Not Robin, sorry. Robert Trowbridge <laughs> oh, at Retrobridge. That's his Instagram. And then we got Jason Turk. No Instagram for him. Cody Walters and Dan Barlow. Hey, Dan yeah, Barlow. Wait, Dan Barlow again? I made a mistake. He is just a top oh. tier. Oh, Dan. On, you on got doubled regular. up there. Okay. Yeah. And then we got our returning top tier patrons. I'm just going to read them off real quick, and these will all get thrown into a special rendition for our next podcast. But we got... Aaron Maccabee at Maccabee Designs. We got Jamie Ramirez at Whiskey Fuego. We got Michael Radaba at Rodcore Restoration, not on Instagram. We got Chris Jacobson at Hiram Woodworking. Adam Martinez at Adam underscore Ant. Uh, Yono Reich at, oh, pronounced Yono Reich. <laughs> I did this last time. Gosh, you did. It's still just as at fun. Yono twenty eight. We've got Evan Livingood at Livingood Woodworks. Jordan Ward at Lost underscore Angler underscore Designs. Davin Ohms. Now it's Davin, not David. Okay, he might have right. DM'd me oh. and corrected me. It's Davin. Ooh, I would have screwed that yeah, up. At, I'm surprised you answered the DM. Wait, it's Davin or Davin? I think it's Davin. Davin. Oh, you better be sure. Uh, well, Davin? It's hard to you know for sure on a DM, but it's not David. And it's at Ohms Bros right. Photography, Ben Fuller at August underscore trails underscore designs, Tyson at Bird Dog Woodworks, also a great folk band. And we've got Nicholas Fairfield. <laughs> Fairfield Woodworks. Oh, man. And then there's a page two. I thought I was done. I was building up to the end. We got Close, Michael Olson at m.j.olson2181. MJ, not Mike Prohorahoff at Pioneer Home Repair, also an employee at Bits and Bits. We got Alex Johnson at Johnson Works and Nick Leonard at Stated Woodsco. Oh, boy. Woo! Who is repping a uh, radial arm saw with a dado stack on it this week i don't even know what kind of radial arm saw that was it looked like brand new it was like black and with a dado stack we shouldn't we shouldn't advertise that he's gonna lose his insurance (laughs) (laughs) but that brings us to our next subject we've got a very special guest on the podcast tonight i am pleased to call him a friend he is known for making the world's most expensive canoes 
Are they the most expensive? I don't know that for sure. We'll ask him about that in a second. But it is Trent Presler. He just wrote a brand new book. He's going to tell us all about it and his life. Trent, welcome, buddy. Hey, guys. Welcome. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Are they, are they, they the are. most expensive They are the world's canoes? most expensive canoes. Uh, well. But only because they're the world's <laughs> best quality canoes. We could say best. that, I suppose. But there's a really funny story about how that even happened. Uh, I don't know if we just go right into storytelling. Yeah, anymore, I want to hear it. Yeah, let's I want to hear it. So there was like, this was a good Instagram story too, because in uh, uh, 2016, I guess, I had just finished baking, making my first, baking, I baked my first canoe. (laughs) Oh, you baked (laughs) baked canoes. That's That's why they were expensive. Got a really big oven, like a huge oven. Um, I just finished making the first one and there was a a freelance writer in New York City who followed me on Instagram. And um, at that point, 2016, I might have had 5,000 followers. Like these were the swashbuckling days, I think before all of us probably blew up, right? <laughs> and um, she said, I heard the story about you um, making a canoe with your father's tools, and I'd love to write a story for you about you uh, for the Wall Street Journal. And I was like, okay, sure, fine. And she came out, she interviewed, and then they sent a, a photo crew, and they did this whole story, and she pitched it to her editor, and she got it placed It's a full-page article in the Sunday magazine of the Wall Street Journal on 4th of July weekend. And I was like, wow, Wow. this is crazy. This is, wow, I can't even believe it, right? So then the day, I don't know, a week before the story runs, the editor calls me and she said, I just got one more question. And um, I just want to know how much the canoe costs. And I was like, (laughs) well, it's not for sale. Like I built this boat with my dad's tools and my dad's dead. And like, this is really sentimental and you can't, it's not for, I'm an artist like that. And she said, well, we're going <laughs> to have to pull the article then because, um, you know, everything's for sale. And our, the readers of the Wall Street Journal expect that that if we write an article about canoes, that it's, it should be for sale. So she said, you have like an hour to tell me. So she hung up the phone and I was panicked. I was like pacing around my wow. office like, I don't know. I, I had, at that point, I had literally, <laughs> I had no intention of making more than one canoe. I didn't think I was going to sell canoes. I was just doing it as, a, as therapy, basically. So I called my boss at the time, who was the owner of my winery and um, who was also now deceased. But he was the CEO of New Line Cinema and he was on the board of trustees of the Museum of Modern Art. So he was a big art collector and I knew he would know. So I was like, what do I do? She wants to know, is the canoe for sale? And he said, of course it's for sale. And the (laughs) absolute rock bottom price is $100,000. He said, frankly, it should be $250,000. It took you a year to make it and this and that. And he said, and if you don't price it at $100, no one will take you seriously. So I said, okay. So I hung up. I called the Wall Street Journal back. I said, it is for sale and it's hundred grand." And then I hung up. And then to my complete shock, when I got the newspaper and I opened it up, the headline said, the world's most expensive canoe. and i was like oh god and then they had used it in other areas of the wall street journal to advertise it said the world's first hundred thousand dollar canoe and it it became the story not so much the story that i had built a boat with my dad's tools but the the story for these for new york city like fashion magazine type outlets was the six-figure canoe. Anyway, that's a long story. Sorry, you can edit me out. But so did you? <laughs> no, no. Did no. you end up selling that canoe? Well, I didn't. I kept uh, the original one from that I made with my dad's tools, and then it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because a couple weeks later, Esquire magazine called and they said, "Are you the guy that makes the hundred thousand-dollar canoes?" I said, "Well, I've made one canoe. 
I haven't sold it. <laughs> and I just told a reporter that it was a hundred grand. And they said, all right, we'd like to write an article about the world's most expensive canoes. And it just snowballed. It was in New York Times and Esquire and um, a whole bunch of magazines. And then I actually got orders because people wow. started. So there's a my first order was a gentleman in Switzerland who read about it in the London uh, Financial Times newspaper. And he just said, hey, I saw the $100,000 canoe. I'd like to get one. Because uh, <laughs> I would imagine there's people out there that they really, they don't do their research. They just want the most expensive. Right. And they want the thing that sure. their friends mm -hmm. can't have. They got money right? to burn. And, um, yeah. That's mm -hmm. unique and has a story behind it. Really? So I've sold. Wow. So um, this is a lesson to any woodworker out there listening to always price your stuff high. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm repricing my uh, end tables at fifty thousand. Right. I'm gonna be in the paper. I was just thinking my Amazon cutting board is way too low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I forget what um, vodka company it was, but there's a story I read one time about a vodka company that had a vodka and they put out, and their sales were horrible. So they hired a marketing company to come in and rebrand. And one of the things the marketing company was was like, you need to triple the price of this vodka. And they're like, okay. Right. And then their sales went through the roof because people have this mentality of like, right. Yes, it must expensive be expensive. It must it's be more, amazing. It's better, it's good. right? Well, not to say your canoe isn't amazing, because well, they are amazing. They are great, but you know, I think that this is part of a bigger co conversation about how craftspeople uh, price their goods in a way that pays themselves fairly. And mm -hmm. we've seen kind of the Amazonification and the mass market sort of dumbing down of American consumer products, and it it you know, affects furniture too and the kinds of things that you guys make. And I think people expect lower prices instead of higher prices. But if you actually, mm -hmm. if you take a year to sure. make something and you pay yourself at all a living wage and you have expenses, then it should be a hundred thousand, you know, if, and, um, but I feel like, um, sometimes we have to apologize almost for, um, pricing things fairly. Um, and I don't know, for me, it, it happened to work out. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy and I've now sold four canoes at that price in the four years since that article came out. And uh, I guess they have to say there's an ask for every seat um, in this world. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. But did you, do you accept I Bitcoin? <laughs> because, because I might want to purchase one. Uh, yeah. I'm sitting on all this Bitcoin that's burning a hole in my in my coin in purse. Your CPU. And your Bitcoin purse. <laughs> my CPU. Burn all my terabytes are getting eaten up by these bitcoins. I gotta, I gotta dump some of this. Did, free up some memory. I free up some. Did you say you store space. them in your CPAP? <laughs> no. Do you have a no, sleep apnea machine? That's where I keep my bitcoin. They all live in the, the, the little the, container yeah. for my breathing machine. It's, I I saw somewhere that you could make your own bitcoin by just inserting quarters into the random slots on your computer. And so I've been doing that with my Apple. I don't know if it's working. My computer's running weird, but. <laughs> it's a little slower. It's slower, <laughs> but that will turn into Bitcoin eventually. Well, how old is how old is your Apple? Because they stopped putting uh, CD. Um, no, it's not the CD. It's ago. the little like um, the little thin rectangular one on the side. I have to fold the. I have to heat <laughs> oh, up the quarter. Camera, and, uh, oh yeah, the SD card, card reader. I have to fold the quarter into thirds, <laughs> and then I can hammer it in there with a mallet. <laughs> <laughs> You got to go to Coney Island to those machines and have it flatten it out oh, so it's perfectly yeah. flat and Dude, narrow. Every, every time I go somewhere, I will make a point to find one of those penny flattening machines and get a penny flattener. <laughs> that's my that's my thing. I have like probably seventy five or a hundred flattened pennies. But so this is this is conceptual art, you guys. 
So like if you did yeah. that flattened coin and then you shoved it in Jason's computer and then put it in an art gallery with an <laughs> acrylic uh, glass cube around it and like mm. made a statement about Bitcoin and modern currency being completely ridiculous and then you could sell that for $100,000. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of... in uh, the computer. I, I kind of have seen that when I was just being funny and trying to make a silly video and I was like, I'm going to make the world's most expensive palette. Yes. And I did the river table and I made it into a palette and I, you know, said it was $6,000. And my, I was never going to sell that. I sent it to Paul Jackman for him to rip apart and make something out of. But I've had it listed on my website as just sold out. But I've gotten probably six to ten, <laughs> so, six yeah. to ten people that have contacted. You still me. have it listed? Yeah, just as sold out because I think it's funny to have oh, it up there. Oh, that's amazing! I guarantee but you I've could gotten sell them. six or ten people that have contacted, legitimately wanting that palette sure. remade. Which I'm not going to do. That's dumb. Well, why not? I think you should oh, start yes. an assembly line of those things. <laughs> just be start a... busting out six thousand dollar palettes. Yeah. No way. Well, listen, Jeff Max got enough people working for him. Just farm them out to him, and you can make a nice. Cut I just on it. take a fifty. I don't want cut. that to become a thing. River table pallets. I mean, has the world not got enough problems? Do we need to introduce river table pallets as this new thing? Come on. There's enough hate in the world. We don't need There's any more hate. It's been a rough year already. Let's not make it any worse. We can't yeah, right, handle right. more river pallets. I mean, look, you'd probably get a client in, in somewhere in Asia and you wouldn't be able to ship it because the Suez Canal is blocked. So your pallets oh, would get stuck. Right. They'd have to go around the Horn oh, of Africa. Right. I see That guy, what a dick, like huh? Two-month delay. You'd have to charge. You, you could still offer free shipping, but now the pallet costs did 20 you get, grand. Did you get my joke? I said, what a, that guy, what a dick, huh? Get it? Oh, right. No. Because did you see his GPS like map before he got stuck? Oh yes, he circled twice he, and then a really and long then a circle. really long thing, and he accidentally <laughs> oh. drew like this perfect GPS phallic symbol, and then yep. he got stuck in the canal. <laughs> yep. Do you think <laughs> it was Captain Wonder? He's like oh, that, that first flight name Stevie Jet Blue that like opened the door and slid down the gate at JFK and was like flipping everybody off. That's like that. Guy. And he had like a couple beers that he stole <laughs> yeah. from the cart. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, "I'm gonna yep. wreck this thing. I'm gonna go sideways through this canal." <laughs> anyway, it's just dis disrupted like you're gonna drift through the world's commerce. Like, how did we get so dependent on that? Anyway, that's I don't ship my canoes through the Suez Canal. Right. I'm very careful. No, you paddle them <laughs> like okay, a real yeah. man. Yeah. Right. U.S. mail all the way. Yeah, it's flat rate box. Yeah. <laughs> so Trent, you're you're working on this this new project of yes. yours, which is named after your 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 dog that yes. passed away. You want to go a little bit because the design on this thing is just unbelievable. The conceptual drawings, if if you guys haven't seen these, you can see them on his Instagram feed. It's just I I can't imagine this thing in real life, but I, it's coming together. I've been watching since the beginning, and it's just it's just mind blowing how you're going to take this from from concept. I'm to really reality. excited about it, and you know the so the boat's called the Caper. Um, it's kind of like a, a hybrid between a canoe and a skiff and a stand up paddleboard. It's going to look like nothing you've seen in the water before. So it has the front kind of bow shape of a canoe, but the transom, the the end of it is open at the back. So you could put a, an electric motor on it if you wanted, or you could row it, or you could paddle it. Um, so it's gonna be kind of a little bit of all three. And um, uh, I mean, my motivation for doing this really stemmed from the fact that I've, I've made these canoes and I kind of made my, my name for myself in 
in building canoes. And, but the canoe designs are all essentially the same. And they've been, I mean, there are some variations on canoe design, but they've been used for hundreds of years. And they go back to the native tribes, especially the Abenaki tribes in New York and others that um, sort of perfected it. And then the, the, the European fur traders came in and, and modified it. And um, but they're all sort of variations on the same thing, and they're not mine. They're not my designs. They're just like anyone could buy those plans off the internet for 300 bucks and make their own canoe. Mm. So I, I worked with a naval architect in Newport, and we actually worked on my own boat design, um, Jeff Van Gorkum in Newport. And so we're, you know, it's my own patented boat design, basically. And so he and I are licensed to design and build them together. And I have been pretty delayed in getting this one finished because I, took a little detour to write a book in the meantime, but I'd, my big plan <laughs> was to finish this, this new boat and go around last year to the wooden boat shows across the country. There's probably five or six that matter. Um, uh, Lake Tahoe being one on the West Coast and then Port Townsend in Washington and then one in Annapolis, Maryland, Newport. There's a few uh, in uh, Mystic, Connecticut. But of course that little uh, pandemic thing happened. So all the wooden boat shows last year were canceled which was fine with me because I wasn't done with the boat anyway. So uh, I just decided to work on my book. <laughs> but anyway, I'm really excited for that that new design. And um, thanks for following along with it, uh, Keith. I'm, I'm, it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I'm actually building it like a holocore surfboard. So there's an outer hull, and then I will fiberglass that. And then I will build the inner hull, like the deck. And then I will sandwich them together with these uh, balsa wood um, you know, like trusses kind of that separate the top from the bottom. So it'll be very lightweight. Yeah. Um, but you've utilized, you know, CNC work to get a lot yes. of these kind yes. of templates for yourself. Yeah, and this is new in boat building. I mean, boat building is one of those industries that I think is rooted in tradition, I think sometimes to a fault. And there's guys who have scoffed at me because I use fiberglass. I mean, there's guys that, that think, mm. you know, it's not a real wooden boat unless it's held together with uh, copper rivets and, and pine tar and bear fat. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, to me, boats have always been a, a sort of a reflection of the society and the times that they're built. So the, you know, back in the day, they built canoes with deer hides and birch bark because that's what they had available. And then with the mm -hmm. invention of, of these laminating materials, fiberglass and epoxy in mid-century, it revolutionized boat building because you could have really thin hulls. All my hulls, the planking is less than a quarter inch thick. And, um, wow. you know, you can have a 20-foot boat mm -hmm. that only weighs 80 pounds. And um, yeah. so the technology, wow. really the chemistry has allowed us to do that. And um, uh, anyway, I forget what the main root of this question was. I just lost it. C oh, just that CNC. CNC work is like right. has really helped. So that's you, the next stage of it. You know, dial in right, the accuracy. Because a lot of these parts used to be cut by hand, and they take forever, and then they're not entirely accurate. As Jason can attest, a, a large part of boat building is kind of winging it, kind of like closing one eye and squinting. <laughs> like, well, it's a curved surface, and it's yeah. You know. I thought that was all of boat building. That's been my yeah. I thought that was woodworking. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, well, here's a here's a question I have for you because, like, I built this boat, but I went off of plans. Somebody has done this boat, you know, thousands of times over this design, so they know it yeah. works. But for you, coming out with a brand new design, you've conceptualized this thing, you've tweaked it. Yeah. Do you have any fear? This being the first that you're, it's not gonna float right or flow right through the water. I mean, how do you 
test that or can you test that before you even get to actually building it? You can, although I don't have the expertise, but I worked with a naval architect who has a software program and they, they all do modeling now. They, they do these 3D oh. computer modelings where they actually mm. test the boat floating on a computer screen. They can get the displacement of the water, like how how many inches below the surface it will float and, and all kinds yeah, of but a, incredible A boat's going to float different on a computer screen than water because a computer screen's like plastic and glass. <laughs> you idiot. Simulation, bro. Oh, simulation. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, That's crazy. So you went in with the design. Did you yes. have to tweak it at all after doing the simulation or was it like, he no, did. this is going to be good? Yeah, he, he had to uh, kind of flatten the bottom a little bit more because um, I wanted it, one of my goals in building this is to be able to explore the the sort of bays and inlets of Long Island where I live, which are often very shallow. Um, there's great fishing in there in the spring and the fall, but like if you can't get into the creeks and inlets, then um, you can't get there. And there's all these like peaceful little creeks that at most sometimes it's at low tide, it's six or six to 10 inches of water. So yeah. I wanted a boat that had about six mm. inches of draft. Mm. Uh, and uh, so he tweaked it a little, little bit, made it more stable too. Um, because it's a little bit tippy, I think, in the first round, at least on the screen. So um, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that's the only way you can... Uh, they do it all on computer now. It's totally Greek to me. I can't even explain how they do it. But CNC, there's actually a builder named Adam Longerman, who I work with in Mystic, Connecticut, who uh, works for the Harishoff, um, Harishoff Designs. That's a famous uh, boat building name. And he is using all CNC to build this like 80 foot uh, sailing yacht. And it's the first time that people have done this. And he's got these massive jigs cutting these, you know, like 18 foot tall white oak beams that are six inches thick and curved to form the shape of the hull. And he's doing it all on CNC. Um, it's, it's, I think it's gonna revolutionize boat building once more and more people, uh, yeah. you know, kind of grasp it. Well, well, I know when I was building my boat, I came into it with a completely different outlook because I'd never built a boat before. So you talked about like people get trapped in this traditional way of doing things. Well, I didn't know what the traditional way of doing things was. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at the plans and it was talking about scarfing these sheets of plywood together to get your full length of plywood for the hull and everything, I was like, that just seems really difficult. Maybe it's not, but I, I didn't want to deal with it. Right. And so I started looking like, is there another way I can hook plywood together? And that's where I found this company up in Washington that CNC'd out this kind of puzzle piece scarf for me. Right. And I've gotten so many comments from like longtime salty boat builders that are like, where'd you have that done? I've never hmm. seen that before. Right. So it is funny how, I mean, it seemed like a natural progression to me, but right. it was probably just because I haven't been in the trade. I don't know the right or the traditional way of doing things. That's a that's a beautiful story because that, mm. I think it's so true. People can get in a rut and then you come new, fresh to an industry and you do something totally different. And I think my first canoe, there was some of, of that kind of response to it because I put in this giant crystal and bronze yacht compass in my canoe. And people were like, <laughs> why do you have a big yacht compass in your canoe? I, I don't know, because it looks pretty awesome. and it's awesome <laughs> and it's baller. Like, why not? That's cool. Um, and then I, I worked with a local metalsmith and I had these bronze cutwaters, like like the Viking part in the front of the canoe. I had those custom made for it. People were like, that's so heavy. You shouldn't make heavy canoes. And I'm like, why not? It still floats. Like, I'm not, I'm not whitewater rafting with this thing. Like, just can we make it be pretty? And I got tons of this like hate mail from crusty old salty boat guys who 
insisted that the traditional way to make a canoe is that it has to be utilitarian. You have to be able to drag it through the woods in, in the boundary waters and you have to abuse it because that's like what a real canoe is. And um, I would get in these back and forth arguments with these mm. guys. Like, how, how, why do you get the, the only definition of a canoe and why do you have to abuse it to have it be real? Why can't it just be pretty? Why can't it be like completely beautiful, like a piece of floating furniture? And people hadn't really thought mm. about canoes that way before 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 me i guess which is it's kind of a bummer though because i bet most of the people buying your hundred thousand dollar canoes are going to be pretty disappointed when they try and drag it through the backwoods and (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't pull very well you catch like a snag on that compass (laughs) the poison ivy scratches it right well i've been so two of them that i've sold have are just hanging in boathouses and will never be paddled um one of them, though, huh. I'm really excited that the, the collector in Switzerland uses it constantly on Lake Lucerne, which is one of the most beautiful lakes on Earth. Like it's staggering, like mm. the, the Alps in the background and this crystal blue, like aquamarine water. And he just loves it. He's always out there paddling around and jumping off and his friends are jumping in and out and using it. And that makes me really happy. Um, you know, it's almost like if you like putting a thoroughbred horse in a stable and not letting it run, you know, when I make these and... I've done them, mm-hmm. and I'm doing one right now for a client that will just, they told me right at the beginning this will hang over the fireplace in their lake house and that they're not planning to use it. And uh, Wow. I was like, okay. So you're not doing a very good job of building it. Yeah, then, right? <laughs> the backside, I'm not even finishing the backside. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> just, just one this side of it. will be varnished. The rest will face the wall. So anyway. But that, so, I mean... That doesn't change the way you build it no. or change the price at all, knowing that? Not at all, no. Yeah. Anyone that contacts me, the first thing I say is, it takes me between nine month, nine and 12 months and it costs 100000 If you'd like to continue the conversation, then let's. But it's the first thing I say because I don't want to waste anyone's time, mine for or theirs. Sure. And, um, mm. you know, for the... Look, I only can make because I have a day job. I can't really make more anyway, so it's fine with me that I can... We, weed out the clients and only work with the people that are really serious about it so Mm. yeah so how much time do you so you're for people that don't know i mean your day job you own a winery i mean so you're at at the office during the day and then you come home at night i've been by candlelight (laughs) make your burn whales oil whale uh, blubber (laughs) i melt oh oh, right yeah my bad yeah you gotta be traditional i gotta slaughter like one hump back a year just (laughs) And keep it in the oh, sperm the whales. Sperm <laughs> whales where the good oil is. You go, wh- yeah, they whale hunting yeah, off right. Nantucket. Um, yeah. No, so I, well, my schedule's pretty flexed. So I'll usually spend um, two or three days a week at the winery. And then I do two or three or four days a week doing either writing my book or, or working in the, in the wood shop. Something I've learned about myself, especially as I've gotten older, is that I can't really work in small little chunks of time. Like it's really hard to come home from a day at the office and have any energy left to like mm. sand <laughs> or like, yeah. oh God, yeah, right. I don't use my brain at all. You know, I just kind of want to eat dinner and, and relax. So um, maybe in my youth mm-hmm. I could have done, done that. But, um, and in my book I do talk a lot about, yeah. because I didn't quite know what I was doing. In fact, I didn't have any idea what I was doing with my first canoe. I, I would come home from work and in complete fits of exhaustion, in, like try to force myself to keep working on the boat. Like it'd be midnight on a Tuesday and I'd be like, I've got to finish this sanding. And, uh, and I was miserable and I kind of worked myself to a breaking point where um, I, I lost it 
a little bit and it took mm. out my aggression on the on the boat um so anyway I've, I'm getting a little bit better at balancing my time but the last year and a half hasn't been uh, I haven't been in the shop as much as I'd like to be so I'm excited to when this book comes out in a few weeks I'm going to be hopefully rededicating myself I don't know if it's laziness so let's talk about this book uh, I was just going to say I don't know if it's lazy oh, go I don't ahead, know if laziness on my <laughs> part but I found that if I have a slow morning where I'm running around trying to get my son to school whatever running errands if I don't start working before like 11 o'clock my day's shot I agree 100 yeah. completely I'm I might as well not even try and work if I can't get out there early and just that start it's like it's like pulling teeth to get any work done in the shop it drives me crazy yeah the worst is sometimes I'll be like oh I'll just have a quick lunch and then I'll go if I get to the shop at like two in the afternoon I'm useless yeah it's not happening it's like a wasted day and I get I'm so angry but I agree with you completely yeah. I'm much better off just being like, today's a total loss. I'm going to get out here at 6 a.m. tomorrow, and yeah. I'll be way more productive. Yeah. But as as KJ mm -hmm. was saying, let's talk about your book. Yeah, well. Tell us the deets. So, it, it, it's out now, right? It's coming out April 27th, but oh, I have some advanced okay. you, copies that I'm going to be um, sharing with with a few friends, including you folks. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. And um, so the book is called Little and Often, and the publisher is HarperCollins. And um, I've been working on it for uh, about two years, um, three if you include the period of time that it took me to come up with the idea and get an agent and sell it to a publisher and all of that stuff. Um, but uh, uh, I don't know if you want like a summary or what you want to even – if you guys have questions for me about it, I was kind of bummed that I didn't get the copies in time to have you read it before we had our podcast. So maybe I'll come back on after you read <laughs> it because I'd love to get, um, I'd yeah. love to talk to you guys after you do read it. But um, mm -hmm. I, I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> you got a pirated copy, <laughs> didn't you? You're the one that was got it off eBay. Um, yeah. Well, I've just I've taken you all it, your little it. screenshots of little snippets <laughs> and I put it together. So I pretty much have a whole book at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I get the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, it's little, it's often. <laughs> basically. You're close. Basically, you know what's, You're so, close. gosh, I have so much to say about this, and it's so fresh still, but um, it's not just a book about building a canoe, right? There's this emotional undercurrent of the story of how I came to even get my dad's tools and why I felt motivated to build a canoe in the first place. And it's sort of like the prequel to Pressler Woodshop in a way, because it kind of tells the story of how, mm. you know, I was basically this New York City, uh, Long Island, Hamptons wine executive and had never built anything or even used a saw to cut wood into pieces um, in my life. And I was totally not handy and had never um, even thought about building anything. Um, my father and I were estranged for about 14 years. We had a really terrible relationship uh, for a lot of reasons. He was a um, a Vietnam vet, cowboy, cattle rancher in South Dakota. And he was also um, a fundamentalist Christian. And we had a lot of, we butted heads a long time. And in 2014, um, he called me home for Thanksgiving and I went back to South Dakota. And um, we had Thanksgiving dinner. And the very next morning, that night, actually, he got very sick and went into the hospital. And he had had, he had had, um, uh, colon cancer for like seven years and had been in and out of treatments, but it it kind of it got pretty bad. And um, he uh, basically presented me with his toolbox um, 
I don't want to say on his deathbed because that sounds pretty melodramatic, but it was on his deathbed. He, uh, you know, he just said, I, I want you to have these things. And he had been trying to clean out the garage. And you know how kind of over time, uh, I don't know if any of your dads were like this, but he had, had all these like old coffee cans full of screws and like little different Tupperwares mm. with different stuff in them. And just the garage was full of stuff. And he had been trying to reorganize the garage and clean it up. Um, and he said, there's some stuff out there in boxes and I'd really like you to take it. And um, I was still in denial that he was even dying. I was like, oh, sure, sure. Well, I'll come home. This is the first time I had seen my dad and or spoken to him in eight years at that time. And I said, I'll come back wow. in two weeks and I'll get all that stuff at Christmas. Like I was really busy at work. I had to get back to New York. Um, so I hugged him and said goodbye. And he died a couple days later. And, and I got back to New York. And he died, and I had to go back to South Dakota again, and and I drove um, instead of flying because I had my new dog cape or my little puppy with me, and and because I knew I had to get the stuff out of the garage that he wanted me to bring home. So on my second trip home after the funeral, um, I filled up my car, I got his toolbox and some other things, and he had this taxidermied wood duck that he loved very much that that he gave me, and that was essentially my inheritance. Um, and I I came back to New York. Um, and I was living at the time on the water and uh, on Long Island. And there was, I don't know if you remember, February of 2015, Keith in New York and, and New England, there was a massive snowstorm, historic, like four or five feet of snow, the coldest February on record. And the, mm -hmm. the bay in front of my house froze. So you could walk from the north part of Long Island to the Hamptons. And I was stuck at home for about two weeks and kind of staring at the white snow losing my mind thinking what am i going to do with all these tools and i was just alone in my house with my dad's tools it was like the telltale heart with edgar Allan poe you know they're like <laughs> they're like across the room staring at me making a thumping sound um so uh i decided to build a canoe and there's a whole story about that decision too in the book but um uh the book back to the the main topic here i wrote the book centered on this year on that year, sorry. So the book kind of starts and opens with my dad being very sick and dying and presenting me with his tools. And then it follows my life for the next year while I make my first canoe through many fits and starts and really messing it up quite a lot and almost quitting a couple times and almost hurting myself in the, with the table saw and a whole bunch of things happened. And then, um, I mean, I don't want to you know, have any spoilers, but it, it, it ends kind of when I finish the canoe. Um, so it, it's all in that calendar year, and I paddled the canoe on the anniversary of my dad's death. Um, wow. Oh, wow. So, and as it happened, there was, it was, you know, he died in December, which is not ideal paddling conditions in New York, right? So there was like a blizzard that day, and it was like, well, I promised myself I'd do this. I guess I'd better stick to it and carry out, you know, so I'm out there paddling. You've probably seen the pictures of me on Instagram, like paddling in a snowstorm with like a fur hat on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's yes, from yes, that yeah. episode. Um, so, uh, and that's, I guess, not a spoiler alert. You can read that on the back flap of the book, but um, that's kind of where it ends. It ends uh, sort of where it began, but, um, and then it changed my life. You know, it, it changed my life so dramatically uh, because I enjoyed making canoes. I, it was fun. After I got over the, the hump of figuring out how to do it and was no longer scared by it and making mistakes constantly, um, I enjoyed it. And then, the, like I told you, the whole $100,000 canoe thing happened. And then I just thought, well, I could make this into a side business. So I, I you know, 
got an LLC and a shop and, um, and I've been doing it on the side. I still run the winery and it's kind of been the best of both worlds. So dad's gift. So you make yeah. on average a canoe a year. Is yes. that about it? Yeah. So canoe a year, hundred thousand dollars. So that's a pretty average side business. hundred thousand dollars. It's a good side yeah. hustle. Yeah. I figured, you know, it's, yeah. it's a little yeah. better than Etsy, I suppose. I don't know. but uh, <laughs> You should yeah. list your canoe on Etsy for $100,000. Oh, I should. You're right. Totally oh, man. See how many orders Three come in. See what happens. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't wait to read it, man. I have, um, I mean, you've yeah, been kind of promoting it for, for a long time now. And I remember... Long, yeah. When we were messaging, um, we were in a big group on Instagram, and you'd be like, oh, man, I'm writing the book. I'm really dragging today. Yeah. So it's awesome to see you get through this. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. So Thanks, congratulations, and you. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, thank you. We were supposed to release it last last fall, but with COVID and everything, it just um, – I don't even – I lost track of time whenever it was. But we delayed the release by about six right. months. And that's why it seems like I've been talking about it forever because I have. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so, now, well, I didn't mean yeah. that in a negative way. I mean, yeah. I just feel like I feel invested in this. I uh, feel like, well, yeah, you, I was, I've been friends with you guys for a while, and we were talking when I was writing it. And you know, I used to think that building the canoe was the hardest right. thing I ever did, but it's not. Writing the book was the hardest thing I ever did. I mean, it's brutal. And now I have so much more respect for people who write books. And um, uh, it's, you know, the editing can be really painful. And um, Nick Offerman was one of the first people who. I sent the book to because I wanted him to read it because I knew he had written books. And I heard him give a speech. He was the host of the National Book Awards a few years ago. And he said, I'm just paraphrasing, but that books are this amazing gift to the world and they're incredibly hard to do and to do great. And, um, you know, that he really, I know, cherishes and, and appreciates books. And so I sent it to him. He was also a big inspiration for me at the beginning. I don't know if you remember the last episode of Parks and Recreation when uh, Amy Poehler made him like the park ranger and he paddled his own canoe off into the into the sunset in the last episode oh, yeah. of Parks right. and Rec, right? That also happened mm -hmm. that winter yeah. when I was stuck in my house during the blizzard. Uh, I saw that up, after I decided to make the canoe and I was kind of starting it, I saw that last episode of Parks and Rec and I just lost it. I'm like, this is meant to be. Like if Nick Offerman yeah. built a canoe, then I'm going to build a <laughs> canoe. Um, so it was kind of a well, that was Ron Swanson, but that was his canoe that he built. Yes, exactly. In the episode, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and his book, his book is called exactly. "Paddle Your Own yeah. Canoe." And so I was just yeah, so he's not great with titles, but <laughs> he can work on that. No, <laughs> <laughs> he's just keeping it real. Uh, it was the number one bestseller, I think. Well, Keeping it literal. He agreed to read it, and then sent, he sent me this wonderful email about his experience reading the book. And he was the first person I sent it to and the first person we let read it besides the people at HarperCollins and the editors. And, um, you know, there's nothing quite as satisfying. You guys can probably relate to this when you see your furniture being used or even, and Jason, your, your boat too, now that you've built it, is to see your, your the product of your work, hard work be incorporated into someone else's life experience. And whether it's a piece of furniture or a book or your words or even your podcast, um, uh, that is really, really uh, gratifying. And I think it's an important sort of driver for me anyway. Um, and I didn't even know when I started this how rewarding it would be in the end to talk to people who have read it. And yeah. um, it's funny, like everyone tells me a different part that they liked the most. Like Nick loved a different part than um, Elizabeth Gilbert. She she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and she gave a blurb for the front cover. 
And um, I won't say what it was about, mm. but there's one chapter that's kind of intense. And it's about my, my, my life growing up on a cattle ranch in South Dakota. And um, she said that that really haunted her and that that was um, like a really powerful part of the book. But Nick liked some other part of the book. And, and everyone, it's like a Rorschach test almost. And I wanted to write a book that people could see themselves in too, because I, the reason I even thought about writing it at all was that the, the lessons I learned from using my dad's tools, I felt like had some universal application and that um, the story was like burning a hole inside me and that I felt I had to tell it. Uh, and I felt mm. somehow compelled that if I had learned these things and they were a gift to me and I had an opportunity and a platform to share them with the world, that it'd be a shame not to. So I am really excited. I'm proud of how it turned out. I'm really excited for you guys to read it. And uh, I don't want to talk to you about it after you read it too. And um, it's funny. Yeah. One of the first meetings I had with my editor, he's like, so what's your, your big goal with this? And I said, I want to make grown men cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, so that'll be my that'll be my litmus test when you tell me you read it is like if you tell me like if you cried and what where part, what part made you cry. what part made us cry. <laughs> so for our listeners who I know are going to want to read this, um, when it comes out, when when does it come out again? April twenty seventh, but you can order April twenty seventh. Yeah. And where can they order it? Where can they get it when it comes out? And there's an audio version too. I yes, saw. yes, it's available anywhere mm. books are sold, including Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and your local bookstore. There's a link on my Instagram feed in my bio. Um, so it'll be it's a basically a worldwide release, but any anyone can at a bookstore if you have a local independent bookstore, they can get it for you too. But Amazon mm. is is really great and easy. And the pre-orders yeah. leading up until April 27th really help us uh, sort of generate buzz, and that counts toward your your best sales numbers and leading into to the release date. So that's why mm -hmm. I keep telling people pre-order now. The audiobook uh, we just finished. I just got the MP3 files today, actually, and I'm so excited about it. And so uh, the actor Matt Bomer recorded it for me, and he won the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor in. Um, the Normal Heart a few years ago, and he has a show called The Sinner on Netflix. Um, he was in that show, that stripper movie with um, Magic Mike. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's, I wanted someone <laughs> with voice training and an actor to record my, my audiobook. Like people, I've had hundreds of people say, why don't you do your own audiobook because it's your life story? I'm not a voice actor. You know, like I wrote the story and, and I want to have a pro do it and, and do it justice. And I was just, I'm not even all the way through him on chapter 19 right now out of 31. And he is just nailing it. And I'm telling you, and I could even, I'll text you guys a chapter sample if you want. The, it's such a profound yeah. experience to, to listen to your own writing, in fact, your own life story with someone else's voice. And it's, Yeah, I bet that's crazy. You're right, like, yeah. almost like it's not your story anymore. You can't, I can sit back and relax and be like, oh, this is just a lovely story. Like I'm not stressed out constantly about like <laughs> typos or my own writing or thinking that it's literally me in the story. Um, it's been, it's fascinating and I'm really thrilled with that. So that's also available on Amazon Audible for download on April 27th. You can pre-order now too. But Awesome. Yeah. Well, I would encourage I'll be doing that. everyone listening to get a copy of the book. And if you're not a big reader, just do what I do with books. Get it and read just a little bit, and read it often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you've already got the, Solid. You've got the title nailed. You figured it out so soon. But, <laughs> you know, it's... Clever. 
The title, <laughs> everyone asked me about the title, and I won't give away because you have to earn it. There's, uh, I always okay. say you have to earn the ending, and you have to. <laughs> it's late in the book when you figure out the real thing. Um, but I will say that it does fit into one of my major sort of philosophies about life in general, which is that almost everything happens little and often. Um, not just building a boat, and you know, Jason, from building a boat, you got to do a plank a day and this and that, and any, any kind of craft project, you're going to work a little bit at a time and come back to it. And Rome wasn't built in a day. There's all kinds of cliches, you know, on that topic. But I relate it to other things in life too, like cancer and um, being estranged from your family. And none of the, a lot of these things don't happen all of a sudden. Not everyone just get hit, gets hit by a freight train. You know, sometimes you, you yeah. die slowly. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we're all kind of dying slowly. I mean, I don't want to be all morbid, but everything's <laughs> happening. <laughs> so, um, but other beautiful things in nature happen little and often too. Uh, the way trees grow and add a new growth ring every year. And the way glaciers scour the landscape a little bit every year. And you think that glacier's not moving anywhere, it's not doing anything, but give it two million years, it's going to destroy Oregon, you know? So. <laughs> I can't wait to see that happen. <laughs> Put it on your calendar, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Where I live on the North Fork of Long Island, it's about 600 feet down of just sand and pebbles. And the whole eastern end of Long Island was deposited by a glacier. Like New York City is bedrock because you can have skyscrapers there. In Long Island, Nassau County, there's bedrock. But the eastern tip is just a big old sandbar. And the sandbar was created by a glacier that scoured out New England. And about 11,000 years ago, it stopped and melted. And um, it created the whole eastern tip of Long Island. So um, we're growing grapes in this glacial till, this soil. And um, um, there's a lot of metaphors there, I think. And I explore some of that in the book, um, the natural surroundings. Being so close to New York City, people might not even think that there's beautiful nature to be explored here. But there really is. Um, so, yeah. I don't know, guys. I'm, I, I, uh, I'm just a farm kid from South Dakota. And <laughs> some happened and uh, <laughs> life got interesting. But <laughs> uh, I even go far back. I, talk, I went to a one-room schoolhouse near the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in South Dakota. I had eight classmates and this teacher that only visited with one grade per hour. So I would get to be with the teacher one hour a day. And then the other seven hours a day, it was, I was on my own. So I would read ahead in the textbooks and go outside and just, you know, like kill snakes and run around, ride my horse. Uh, I had quite a, quite a childhood. Um, How old are you? <laughs> yeah. Mark Twain was his classmate. He grew up I'm in the old 84. west. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh. <laughs> wow. So when Lewis and Clark, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would, uh, Lewis and I, what were they were like? You know? Do you have a firm handshake? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Little sack. He did. Boy, that guy. Don't mess with him. Uh, did you guys see that movie, The Revenant, with Leo DiCaprio? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that, Yes. It was filmed in the Canadian Rockies, which is totally fine. It's beautiful, but it's inaccurate because that's a real story, actually, of this guy, Hugh yeah, I read the book, mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. I was disappointed yeah, when I, I watched the, the movie. Too. I was like, this is absolutely nothing like the book. Yes, totally. <laughs> well, the, 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 in the real-life version, when Hugh Glass got attacked by that grizzly bear, he was in western South Dakota on the plains, and he um, that happened just a few miles from the ranch where I grew up. And uh, it was sort of a... A, uh, I don't know, a stark landscape in which to grow up. I mean, there's no trees. It was totally flat. Uh, thank thankfully, though, there were no uh, grizzly bears. 
in South Dakota by the time I came around. But <laughs> anyway, it's a harsh <laughs> landscape. But in some ways, living on the ocean, I um, I kind of like having that that wide horizon where I can just see all around me. You know, I, sometimes mm. I get claustrophobic in mountains with trees. <laughs> like, where's the horizon? Yeah, yeah. I need to see the horizon. <laughs> South Dakota's crazy. I rode a bicycle across South Dakota and I remember like coming through Keystone and Deadwood wow. and you're up in the mountains and then it just changes. Yeah. Just like in a in a flick of a switch. I mean, yeah. your mountains to badlands and plains. It's incredible. It's crazy. It, yeah, it's yeah. just very sudden. And that was that whole flat basin in South Dakota, that was the I'm sorry, my dog's walking around. You can probably hear his claws. Um that was the last um, <laughs> kind of where the last interior seaway dried up and there was the last bit of water was there. Um, and that's why there's so many great dinosaur fossils in South Dakota because the, the most complete T-Rex fossils mm. ever found were found in western South Dakota because the last bit of water that dried up, that's where all the herbivore dinosaurs were living and drinking the last bit of water and all the T-Rex were just nailing them. They were eating everything. Um, and then they all died too. So if you've heard of Sue, the T-Rex skeleton, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicago, that was found like a couple miles from the, my family's ranch where I grew up in this town called Faith. Oh, wow. Um, I was joking with my editor. Um, I've come from a town called Faith and I think there's a, the first line in Bill Clinton's memoir was, I come from a town called Hope, but it's, um, uh, I come from a town <laughs> called Charity. Jason comes from a town called I Love. I come from a town called Normal. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Normal. I don't Normal. live in a town. They wouldn't let me. Normal Oklahoma. Amazing. I mean, America. <laughs> there's, um, I think, the town Madison is the only town that there's a Madison in all fifty states. I, that was on Jeopardy. Oh, once. really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Really? Anyway, shoot. So, how did you even end up in New York from South Dakota? That's uh, not a normal. Read the path book, Keith. The <laughs> Read the book. Oh, no, my I gosh. <laughs> Damn it. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm, you guys are going to get your advanced copy next week. You don't have to wait long. Um, I came out for graduate oh, school. I can't wait. Um, I went to Cornell. For, I got a master's in uh, ag economics and a PhD in horticulture. And that's in upstate New York. Um, I came out here in 1999, 2000. So I never thought I'd stay this long, but here we are, 21, 21 years. Cornell ago. University? Yes. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Andy Bernard's <laughs> alma mater. Yeah. Who's alma mater? Right. Oh, yeah. And if you guys don't... Follow Trent because with the, with his doctorate in horticulture. I mean, he the he, where the house where he lives, he is planted. He he lives in a nature preserve yeah. almost with the trees, and and he'll walk through and and guide you through all the flowers as they bloom and the fruit trees. And it's just it's so peaceful and relaxing. Like you know, I don't know what's around you where you <laughs> the live. The freeway is well, like no. What, that was you, his, what yeah. you create. That was his old house. She recently yeah, moved. Didn't she? I just moved. Um, yeah. He, it, about a month ago, actually, yeah. I sold that house, and it was very sad to, to leave. But um, I had the chance to get to be back on the water, and I got a, water, a couple of acres on the on the sound, and I'm really happy with it. It's not mm -hmm. going to be the same kind of gardening. I'm still going to have some some fruit trees, hopefully. But um, I'm basically living on a sand dune on this bluff that's 140 feet above Long Island Sound. Um, it's pretty dramatic. I'll send you a picture. But yeah, I love talking about plants, and wow. you know, I think a lot of woodworkers. Talk, we talk all about wood all the time, right? And all these species names. And, and what we're really talking about is plants. You know, and the way when we talk about wood grain, what we're talking about is those, the vessels that the plants use to carry nutrients and water around their bodies. And it's, um, I don't know, it's interesting. I talk a lot about that in my book too. I go a little bit deeper in, in species and 
in um, the way wood is structured in as a living organism and as a dead uh, you know piece of wood that we that we build something with um, and I don't know they're just um, they're beautiful things well then let me ask you because tomorrow I'm planning on uh, doing some yard work because my yard <laughs> is looking awful <laughs> what should I do in the spring should I, I want to overseed in your lawn? Should, should I even do that? Yeah. Should I yeah. just wait and just wait till the fall? No, I like spring overseeding lawn. I think that's good. Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, you got to do it before the weather gets too hot. So you may as well do it in the spring. Yeah. I'm in you, the like yeah. 50 degree range right now. So yeah, I would do it now. And you know, if it's too cool, that at least the seeds will be there the instant it is warm enough, they'll be ready. Are you going to aerate it before you overseed? Mm. Well, I'm going to dethatch. So I'll I'll dethatch Good. tomorrow and then get rid of all of that and then I'm gonna wait probably until next week because I'm I'm going on vacation this week I'm gonna go to Savannah the wife and I are, are gonna leave our kids here with family and we are gonna go on vacation and just relax great. it's not yeah. a true vacation unless you ditch your kids the, the, it's that is correct yeah. <laughs> and realize the podcast was such a grind that you needed yeah. time away. dude yeah the editing for this thing is just driving me up the wall <laughs> so know, I, I got to get out of town. The last thing you do before you head on a vacation is dethatch your lawn. Right. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's on my list. No, I got to dethatch and then pack. How so, do you de- how do you dethatch? You use a rake? What do you do? You can use a you dethatching stop thatching ra- and rake. You won't yeah. have to dethatch. I have an electric dethatcher actually. Wow. So my son, he's got this addiction to YouTube. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is on YouTube. He just wants to watch YouTube all the time. And we try and limit it because there's something about YouTube that turns him into a zombie. I don't know what it is. But I was looking at a YouTube video and it pops up the little suggested videos and he was sitting on my lap and the next suggested videos was overseeding your lawn and he's like, Dad, we have we have to watch that. <laughs> so it was a twenty five minute video on how to properly overseed your lawn and he watched the entire thing and he was enthralled the whole time. But they said the key to overseeding is aeration because it creates all those little holes that the seeds can actually get yeah. trapped down in and they're not gonna lose them to right. birds and wind and everything. So Based on my YouTube research, I think you should aerate that lot. Well, I aerated two years ago. I actually I went down to the whatever you know rental place and rented the five thousand pound aerator and drug it back to the oh, house God. and aerated the front yard. It had you know plugs out all over the place for gosh, I think it it probably took like at least a month for those things to break down and disappear because I didn't rake them up because I'm too lazy. No, you're not supposed to. The right. video said yeah. leave them. Oh, they said in the video not to rake they them up? Said, leave them. <laughs> yeah, it's leave good them decomposure well, to, to, to fertilize your lawn and everything. It's good for what, it. A, a little trivia, I used to work on a golf course in high school, and we would always rake them up because you can't leave aerated cores mm-hmm. on, on a course. Well, yeah, players are going to get pissed off. <laughs> yeah. That bogey's only because of the aeration. You can't, put, you, can't, you can't putt over those. Right. Oh, I was going to ask you, do you have, Nick, do you have a garden? Do you have, And how old are your kids? Yeah, Two I've got... I have a seven, five, and three-year-old, and okay. we do have a garden. And I actually just, I yeah. got a new tilling uh, attachment for my Ego Powerhead. So wow. I'm, I'm going to actually till up all my beds tomorrow also. Oh, my God. I'm going to give you a wow. gift suggestion for your seven-year-old for, like, this, your kid's eighth birthday. What's so that? The reason I'm a botanist, the reason I got into plants, is because for my eighth birthday, my dad gave me a Folgers coffee can filled with seeds. And really? Pl- yeah. 
and they were mixed up. So he had plowed under about an acre of land. We own 10,000 acres. So it was like, here's an acre for you, son. Okay, this well, is we own this. one. <laughs> I mean, this is just useless. <laughs> you got to start small. Land, right? <laughs> Maybe a Dixie <laughs> cup full of seeds. <laughs> yeah. Start, yeah. yeah. Like a red solo Portion. cup. And uh, yeah, so yeah, the small it ones. was at the grain feed store in South Dakota. They had this like uh, big seed oh. bin and you could just dip in a scoop. And it was like, um, you know, watermelon, corn, beans, uh, all kinds of garden seeds, but mixed up together. And they, they marketed it toward kids. And it was like this grab bag. And yeah. so the first year I just was like, oh, my God, it's a whole can of seeds. And I just took fistfuls of them and threw them into the garden, like <laughs> spread them far and wide. And of course, dad was like, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Um, what's going on? And then the garden grew as a complete disaster. Like everything was mushed up together. And right. um, he gave me the same birthday gift the next year. And then I was like, oh, OK. So I dumped the seeds on the kitchen table and sorted them by color, size, you know, like all the black seeds with the white spots or watermelons and all the corn, you know, and it started my brain working, thinking about plants and botany and how people classify um, these sort of agricultural organisms for our benefit. And um, anyway, it was a great thing for a kid and it stuck with me forever. And people always ask like, how'd you get into botany? And I always tell that story. So you, you have a, is it a son that's seven. She's a girl. Or daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Daughter. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. She's a daughter. Some, she's she a daughter. <laughs> Put on some uh, some overalls. It's a good gender for a daughter. We have this <laughs> overalls and a straw hat. We have this bur yeah. burger joint that's local in the northwest. It's only in Oregon and Washington. It's called Burgerville, and their like thing is all of their ingredients are sourced from Oregon, Washington. Like all of their fruits and vegetables and meat and everything. And when you get a kids meal there. Instead of getting a toy in the kids' meal, they give you a packet of seeds, and sometimes it's oh, celery, cool. sometimes it's kale, sometimes it's peas. But we have basically planted our entire garden. This tells you how much we go out to get burger oil. <laughs> we've played, basically, we just started all the peas that we got in his little kids' meal, and we just put them out in the raised beds the other day. But he loves it. I mean, it's such a better thing than just a stupid plastic toy in a kids' meal because he loves going out and planting those and watching yeah. them grow. Then you actually get to eat the food. Water it's kind of a bad business model because we're going to have so many vegetables. We're never going to go Burgerville again. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you can't grow a burger. No, so. that's true. Say. It also teaches patience, right? Because gosh, everything's instant these days. I don't know. Yeah. I mm -hmm. don't know what it would be like to grow up with electronic, you know, screens and whatever. Because we didn't have any of that. But you, when you have to wait for a plant to grow before you can eat it uh, or you know you have to water it and take care of it all kinds of lessons there yeah for yeah. sure yeah oh just the fact that my kids can say hey i want to watch spongebob and you can pull it up any episode anytime anywhere yeah. on any screen <laughs> whereas i'm like listen kids when i was your age i had to wait on saturday <laughs> on channel one and wait until my channel came around on the channel guide yeah and if mm -hmm. i wasn't paying attention and i missed it I had to wait another 45 <laughs> minutes to see what was on the next, you know, block of TV. And we had right. commercials and yeah, all these crazy yeah. things. It's so funny. So and, uh, antenna. I've been roof. without a truck for a few months now because I stupidly sold my truck and then I was waiting on a new one because of COVID. And so I built this boat, but I haven't been able to take it out because I didn't have a truck. Well, I finally got a truck this last week. And so I'm like, yes, we're taking the boat out. And my son just happened to ask, like, Dad, can we go float down the river? And I was like, absolutely. We can do this. 
So I hooked up the boat. I was thinking it was going to be this beautiful, magical time, like my son's first float, just <laughs> me and him and this boat that I built. And you know what he wanted to talk about the entire time we were on the river is this thing called Ninjago, which is like a Lego ninja. Oh. Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> constantly. He just wanted to talk about that the whole time, which is fine, but it's just such a different way than the way I grew up. It's so funny. Ninjago. Well, we're one of the last generations, aren't we? Like, I, you know, the, yeah. where we grew up without it and then had to learn to live with it as adults. Um, I mean, we yeah. all probably remember getting email, right? When our, I don't know, sometime when we were probably early 20s. And, I remember um, being a junior in high school and getting my first cell phone, and that was like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it didn't have oh. a it didn't have a camera. It, I think it could text. No, but that it played was about Snake. It. Yeah, Snake. I remember that yeah. game. That was it. Yeah, it had T nine texting. Snake. Where I actually learned how many button presses it took to get to the right, you know, to, to text a T. Yeah, <laughs> and then you had to hit space with zero. Yeah. Yeah, it took forever to text back then. And then that was back in the day when you actually turned your phone off when you were done with it. Right. <laughs> and oh, now man. my entire business is literally centered around my phone. Right. I film yeah. on my phone, I edit on my phone, I post on my phone, everything. If I didn't have my yeah. phone, I wouldn't have my business, which is so weird. That's wild. Yeah. Crazy Technology, times. man. Well, what else do we want to? What else do we want to dive into here? We're we're over our hour mark. Is there anything else we want to bring up before the the episode ends here and we head to the after uh, show? I did want. I want to get an update from Trent. I actually followed Trent not for your canoes. Oh, I actually followed you. I think you popped up on my explore feed one day. Uh, your truck, ah, uh, yes, F one hundred. Yeah, because. The yeah, F one hundred is my dream truck. I uh-huh. want one really bad, and I think I followed you when you hundred thousand dollars. Yes, <laughs> I'll sell to you hundred grand. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, so I do. I have a nineteen fifty four Ford F one hundred. You know, I, this old guy in my neighborhood. I had this truck in his front yard for years. I drove by it on my way to work, and it was rusted and there were weeds growing around it and i put a note in his mailbox and said if you ever sell that i want to buy it from you and he called me like an hour later <laughs> and he's like it's like breathless <laughs> like oh my it. god my wife wants me to get rid of that so bad please take it away and um and the body was completely rusted out and the and the bed didn't have anything on it but the guy was an old engine mechanic so it started right up and i drove oh, he said he hadn't man. started it in three years and uh, I just drove it from his house right home and sitting on like a five-gallon bucket, basically, because there was no seat yeah. inside. I mean, if I'd gotten pulled over, it would not It would have been a Beverly Hillbillies kind of situation. But um, it's a little bit of a Franken truck. Um, the chassis and engine is actually a 91 Chevy Suburban. Um, really? So it's not like a pure... Yeah. Ah, it's fine. So <laughs> that's why the bed is, so it has a nine-foot bed instead of a, a normal F100 Ford from the 50s would have a five-foot bed. So it's got an yeah. extra long bed because it's actually a Chevy Suburban with an f- old Ford cab plunked on top of it. But anyway, yeah, then I built out a headliner that is uh, a wood veneer on the inside, and then I have cedar uh, floor mats, and I built out a wood bed for it. And I still have it. It sits, I don't really use it that much. kind of sits at the winery and, and tourists, you know, Drunk girls basically take pictures with it now. 
<laughs> my license my license plate says I love wood, so everybody has to pose with the license plate and like that they're that they're first people that got the joke, basically. But I love it. Hey, if you want to make me an offer, you know, let's see if I could drive it to Kentucky. But shoot, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have shoulder belts. I don't feel safe going on highways mm. without a shoulder belt these days. Uh, I'll give you yeah. one dollar. Yeah. It's like so, price, one dollar bob. price is right. <laughs> I keep it local. I don't really go. I know it goes fast. I've tested it. It does go like interstate speed, but I, I did that once and was like sweating because I was worried. That <laughs> Man, I, was, I, I think I told die. you this, but I should totally buy it because <laughs> it's basically the exact same color as my boat. How good would that look? Pulling, pulling my boat oh, with that's that true. truck? It would be. Yeah. It really yeah. would. It would look nice. It really would. Yeah. It's got a boat hauler on the in the back. You could actually do it pretty easily. Yeah, perfect. Anyway. I bet your boat would fit in the in the bed. It. I have this uh, goalpost thing that sticks out the back where it would hoist a canoe up where yeah. the back would fit on the goalpost and the front of the canoe would fit yeah. over the cab. That would be so, amazing. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta do that someday. I have to make a. I'm like the cobbler that has no shoes. Like I don't actually <laughs> have a canoe for myself right now because I keep selling them. I need to, I need to actually finish something and, and keep it. Yeah, but, you should. Ah. Uh, but is the ca- the capers for the you, capers though, right? for me? Well, it's a prototype. I'm sure okay. I'll end up keeping the first one, like I kept my first canoe. Um, yeah, you know, and that if I go around to boat shows and sell it, that would be. Have you uh, sold any of that model yet? No, not yet. Yeah, I really need to have a like the physical thing. Sure, you know, make done, sure it works the way it's supposed to. to it. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, cool. But, What's the price uh, going to be on this one? It's going to be more. Yeah, it'll probably, it might even be 200. I haven't decided yet, especially if I have to put on if Ooh, the electric boy. outboard motor. Um, Let's go for a cool a half mil. I mean, why, <laughs> why stop there? Yeah. If you use the code MORSELS15, <laughs> you, you can 15%. save 15%. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you got a lot uh, of people out there that just got their stimulus checks, so they're looking to, they're looking to spend their right. money. Yeah, they can pool yeah. their money together. That's right. I'd love to go to a wooden boat show with you guys because the sticker shock is astounding. Oh, man. Oh, I'm it's sure. Really I'm sure. I've had people um, make offers on my boat, but I'm just, I don't want to sell it. It's the first boat I've ever made. It's, I mean, it's probably, yeah. let's be honest, it's probably going to be the only boat I ever make. I just, I couldn't part with it. I spent so much time on that. But Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You pour yourself into these things. That's yeah, the same reason why something. my motorcycle's still in my garage. Because you did you restore I, an old one? Yeah, I bought no. an old one for a hundred dollars. You know, poured hour after hour, and you know, knowledge and learning, and and then dealing with the state of getting it registered so I could even ride it on the roads. And yeah. now I haven't ridden it. I don't think I've started it in two years, but I just can't get rid of it because of yeah. you know just the, you know all that sentiment that I put into it. I'm like, man. Yeah. I love that bike. Yeah, yeah. Mm. these things, take, these objects take on a greater meaning than their yeah. than their material worth. Yeah, I think right. that's true of a lot of things. And I talk often about the tools that Dad gave me. I mean, they're all shit tools. I mean, we're not talking about anything fancy. If you had seen them in a secondhand store, you would have walked right past. You know, um, they they don't look like anything at all that matters. Um, so as it turns out, the only reason things matter is because of our own experience, right? So they're not, um, it's not really about your motorcycle as much as what you put into it. And it's the same yeah. thing with tools or your boat, Jason. Like, um, yeah, 
that's your boat, man. Yeah. And you took your son down the river, and I Ninjago saw him conversations. <laughs> <laughs> no, he had a blast, and that truly was a really it was a special moment for me. I mean, when we weren't talking yeah. about Ninjago, he was he was loving it, and just the fact that I can I can do that, it's fun, and hopefully, if I maintain it well, maybe he can have that boat someday. Yeah, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. This the sentimentality of things. I have this pair of old leather slip-on slippers that were my grandfather's and when he passed away we all went down to Arizona and we were kind of digging through all of his stuff and that was like the one thing that I just always remember him wearing and I took them with me and I I never wear them they sit on the floor in my closet I see him like every morning I just can't get rid of them that was like that was my grandpa mm-hmm. yeah and it's just that that special yeah. sentiment you just can't put a price tag on that that's incredible Mm-mm. uh how about yes, yeah, so I will ship them to you. <laughs> They'll be there tomorrow. I'll do next day air. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic number for anything. <laughs> uh, so funny. Amazing. Well, Trent, it has been such a pleasure having you on here, man. Um, and it's Thanks, been awesome. it's been so cool to to watch you work through this process, kind of behind the scenes. And huge congratulations to getting this finished. We all cannot wait to read it. If you're listening to this, go get yourself a copy, pre-order, get this book. If I know anything about Trent, um, he's got super high expectations for himself. So this book is is bound to meet those expectations. So mm-hmm. get yourself a copy. Thanks, guys. We're going to take Trent and we're going to bring him with us to the after show. So if you're a patron, right. if you're a patron of the podcast, you have access to that. If you're not, go to patreon.com slash shop sounds podcast and sign up all levels, any tier from the lowest dirt level to the, the dirt <laughs> level. What is wrong with I you? I really got to work on that. I really got to work on that. To the highest um, top tier <laughs> patrons, y'all got access to that. So come join us in the after show and we'll hang out there for a few more minutes. Yeah. And before we go, Keith, hit him with that giveaway detail. Oh, yeah. All right, folks. We got a giveaway. <laughs> Uh, bitsbits.com. That's the most drunk I've ever heard (laughs) Keith sound before. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We got to go away. All that LaCroix is going to you. It's the decaf tea. The decaf tea. All right, guys. Coconut milk. We got a giveaway. (laughs) He threw me. He got me off guard. So so go to bitsbits.com. Enter your name and email address for a chance to win one of the three prizes. And in case you missed the beginning of the show, First place is a $300 gift card. Second place is a $150 gift card. And third place is a $75 gift card. All for bitsbits.com. Uh, winners will be selected April 8th, 2021 and notified shortly thereafter. Now, by entering, you're agreeing to be added to Bits and Bits newsletter and mailing list. And to win, you must follow us, the Shop Sounds podcast on Instagram, in order to be eligible. So, bitsbits.com. Enter the drawing. You do not want to miss this. That's right. Yeah. And you say winners. that kind of yeah. like a bad thing. Like, by doing this, you're agreeing to be signed up for their mailing list. You, hey, no, I know, but I just want to say that you the, want yeah. to be signed up for their mailing list because yeah, part of that mailing list is stuff. they send yeah. you sweet deals on bits and discount codes and all sorts of stuff. So that's a good thing. You want you want that. It's a great thing. Yeah. Yep. Some sweet yeah. action. Go sign up. And until that happens, you can go to bitsbits.com and use the coupon code MORSELS. 15 to save 15% off your order of CNC or router bits. Mm. We should ask them mm. if the right. Morsels 15 will work in conjunction with the gift card. I'm curious about that. Ooh. Mm. That's a good question. We'll figure that out. We'll tell you next time. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. 
Yeah. We'll let you know in the after show. Okay. <laughs> well, it's not going to be that quick. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> Next episode. <laughs> yeah. But only the top tier patrons will be. All right. Oh, right. So we're going to the after show. Not. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Who's dri- Who's driving? I got. I'm taking I'll a shotgun. I'll, I'll drive. <laughs> okay. All right. all right. See you guys. We're all going to fit on your motorbike, Nick? Yeah. It's a two-seater. All right. I got the handlebars. It's a- <laughs> I got pegs. <laughs> you got a basket on the front? That's right. Because I'll sit right in there. There we My go. My little bottle fit right in there. All right. All right. See you guys. Bye. See you. I love you.